Thank you so much. Great worship, great scriptures, exhortations, edifications, um, notices. And um, as an eldership team, we are earnestly seeking God to move forward uh, in this day and age, in very interesting time. Uh, I was at a meal recently, and the conversation was a little bit difficult towards South Africa. But I was thinking about Syria. If you are a Syrian today, living in Syria, your land is completely smashed, completely annihilated. If you are Ukrainian, you have nothing left, you, depending where you live. If you live in parts of Sudan or different parts of the world, uh, northern Nigeria and other places, um, things are tough, amen? And so we just want to thank God for this beautiful nation, amen? Uh, we do have some issues, yes, 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 Eskam, yes, but God is good to us. What a beautiful church, amen? What beautiful people. We have amazing roads, amazing beaches, and um, I'm very aware that around the world God is moving amongst young people. He seems to be touching them. Uh, very aware that we are very uh, thrilled with revival. Sometimes we don't like old-style church. Um, and uh, even in going to the series of Philippians, we have been thinking around, what do we do, Lord? We spent ages uh, and waiting before we start the, the book of Philippians, and uh, I'm very open, I trust you are, to God moving in unusual ways, raising up people, doing things we haven't seen before, uh, using people that haven't been used before, and uh, we, we don't want to get stuck in our ways or our wineskin we're looking for. Remember, there's wine and wineskins. The wine is Jesus. It's the Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. So we, we're singing those songs. Move among us. And when the Spirit moves, He's like the wind. You don't know where He comes from or where He's going. And He, he renews us. He changes us. Amen? And he, um, he'll, he'll take a church that's a good church and perhaps redirect her. He'll raise up new people. So um, won't you join with us as a, as a leadership team toward... God's move and God's passion, amen? Some of us need to, um, you know, we spoke about motion sickness last week, about Israel had been motionless for 430 years, and the, Moses, the, the moment Moses was called to lead them, they got sick. They got sick of moving with God. They didn't want to move with God. They wanted to camp. In fact, they wanted to go back. They didn't want to eat new food. They didn't want to go to new places. And, uh, and they became impossible to lead, amen? And so we are not those people. Historically, the church, church has been stuck in her ways. Whatever you got saved into, we hanker for those. I know people even here, bless you, that long for the early days of VFC, the early days of Invisible Church, the early days of Glenridge. Those days are gone, amen? God is moving. And so our job is to say, yes, fantastic experience. Um, I was part of people getting saved in their hundreds. Um, but those days are gone, and we are not disappointed that here we're saying, God, what's next? Why don't you turn with me to the book of Philippians, please? Love to see all the men at the breakfast on uh, Friday, guys. Um, love to see you at the marriage course. Love to see you in the nations. And we're having a look at the book of Philippians. What can I tell you about the book of Philippians by way of introduction? Even though England have already titillated you, I trust, where the book of Philippians is. Um, it's one of Paul's nicest, most pleasant, most cheerful, most joyful letters, you could say. Um, it's warm, it's a deeply affectionate, personal, it's the kind of letter 
that's probably his most favorite letter. It's the letter you want to get from the apostle, if you will. Um, open affection. Sometimes we don't show open affection. Thank you. Love you. Um, such a nice guy. But this letter is openly affectionate. I mean, Christians should be warmly affectionate. So, uh, how's it, bro? How are you? Good to see you. You're such a blessing. You've got such a nice smile. We should be openly affectionate. Every time I see you, my heart leaps. Amen. Somebody give me an amen. Somebody. But Christians are like, hello, and thank you, and oh, no. This is openly affectionate. Amen. We should be a people full of joy. That's what this letter is full of joy, full of passion, gratitude, expressed freely, fully. Kind of, I've said this, which I'm going to get into trouble for. It's like a favorite child. None of us have favorite children, okay? But of all the churches, like I think in Paul's heart, this is a favorite child. Where is um, Philippi? It's a Roman colony. It's in Greece. It was colonized by the Romans. Um, they were very proud of their culture, the Philippians. Um, it was Paul's first plant into Europe. Huge huge. He's coming up from Jerusalem. He's doing a missionary journey, Antioch, across Turkey, and then across um, the two seas, sorry, across the Aegean Sea, I think it is, and he gets to the beginning of, from Asia Minor into Europe, and this church is planted. Um, it's, the, it's the beginning of the gospel into Europe, and um, <clears throat> As, as we've heard earlier on, he's coming up from Asia towards Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in Asia. Spirit-led. I don't know why I feel a restriction. I don't know why I'm, that door's not opening. There's business opportunity. Um, you know, somebody said he must move to Australia. Oh, I don't know why. I kind of, I'm not sure. I'm holding. I'm not, we don't have a liberty to go there. So if you're led by the Spirit, you are sons of God, and you can see they've been led. Then they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. So restriction in Asia, restriction in Bithynia, I think to the left, or the other way around, sorry, Asia to the left, Bithynian region to the right. So, okay, let's go off to Troas. Where's Troas? It's a coastal sea town. Paul has a vision during the night, a Macedonian man begging. So he has this vision. There's the Aegean Sea, like a, probably a coastal town um, in Turkey, I think, <clears throat> and... Um, he has this vision of a man begging, come over, come over, and um, come over and help us. He has this vision, and Paul got ready at once. Amen. Isn't that cool? One of the things that we all struggle from is, ah, Lord, I'll think about it, I'll pray about it, and we miss opportunities. Give your car away. Give it. Go on mission. Ah, no, 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 no. Sometimes we need to act on it, okay? Because when you act on it, it's done, and, and you'll be pleased that you've acted on it. He got ready at once. Acts 16, 13. So Acts 16 is the story of the Philippians. When we did Acts, we looked at it. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city. They eventually get there. They arrive in Philippi, and they went outside the city gate to the river, we were expected to find a place of prayer. There is no synagogue. Theologians say you needed 10 Jews to have a synagogue. There was no synagogue. So they looked for a place of prayer on the Sabbath. We sat down and began to speak to the woman who had gathered there. Verse 14 of Acts 16. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia. Huge, huge, huge character, person. Lydia. Can you remember the name Lydia. 
I would that we would all be Lydia's. <clears throat> a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. She's not a Jewess, she's Greek. The name tells you that, but she is a worshiper of God. They would assume that she has been, a con she's been um, a converted to Judaism, worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So it's amazing, Paul is speaking, he's just arrived there, he waited a couple of days, looked for a place of prayer, got outside the city gate, down to the river, there's Lydia, she she's longing for God, she knows God, she's a worshiper of God, but now the gospel comes. And the Lord opens her heart to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, so she is able to influence her family. She says there, I've heard this message. It happened in our home. My mom heard a message. She was a very religious woman. She came home one day, and we sat in the lounge, and she told me and my cousin and my brother the, the gospel. And I remember it was a profoundly impactful moment when we first heard the gospel that my mom had heard, I think, in a Catholic charismatic meeting. She brought it back. And it was like our world changed. Our whole household was saved. So I can identify with this woman, Lydia. <clears throat> when she and members of the household were baptized, she invited us to her home. So this is another key thing. If you consider me a believer, she says to Paul, in the Lord she said, come and stay at my house. I think that is a profound thing. In, in most of the Western world, our houses are no-go zones. But if you would invite people to your home, sometimes you will entertain angels. She was entertaining the greatest apostle outside of Jesus that ever walked on the face of the earth who wrote half of the New Testament. Come and stay at my house. Don't you love it? Somebody say amen. Who have you invited to your house? What man of God, woman of God, who, somebody, come, come to our house. We want you in our home. Come and bless us. Come and be with us. And she persuaded us. So this businesswoman from Thyatira, this Lydia, this dealer in purple cloth, this influential woman says, come to my house. She persuades us. Now this guy, Paul, you can't push him around. The first convert. There's some other women that have a prominent role. You can read it in 4.2, and I'm not going to preach those because the other people are going to preach that. There's a slave girl who also has a very important part to play. In, uh, in Acts 16.21, Paul becomes troubled by a demon-possessed slave girl that follows him, saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God. And she's going on and on. And it's as if uh, Paul is, he gets a bit frustrated. He says, I don't need you to tell the people. I will tell the people about the gospel. You are causing trouble, as it were. This demon, she's, a, she's got a demon. She's a fortune teller she's very powerful she's a slave girl she has owners and she is kind of um what's the word i'm looking for she's she's causing trouble because she's she's not allowing paul and he gets frustrated with her or oh, is that the right word um <clears throat> paul casts the demon out okay which causes an uproar, and the owners of the slave girl lose their source of income. that commotion is caused paul and silas are seized they are stripped and they are severely flogged and thrown into jail. Welcome to Church Planting 101. 
So there's gods with them. They're moving, they're boating, they're arriving. There's Lydia, there's um, other people. Then there's a slave girl. There's a commotion. The owners say, you're messing around with our religion. This is not our religion. Big commotion at that time. They beat them severely. They flog them severely. And... um, After the flogging, which I don't know if you've seen a man flogged. Have you ever seen somebody that's been severely flogged? I've seen it. It's not a pleasant thing. Severely. Probably 39 severe floggings. And so this is how this church is planted. And um, God opens the prison doors. I think somebody mentioned. He, he, you know that earthquake? You know that's the line of the earthquake that's just happened? You know that's very close to where this earthquake is down. That, there's a fault line there. And so there's this earthquake like we saw. Katia was showing me a picture yesterday of the, a swimming pool in Turkey. I don't know if you saw it during the earthquake. The, the water's just coming out of the swimming pool. It goes out of the swimming pool. Severe earthquake. So there's an earthquake. Wonder, and uh, they're released and the jailer gets saved. Amazing story, isn't it? After the imprisonment, they return where? To, where do they return to? Lydia's house. They're back in that house, that lady, that amazing lady, that lady of hospitality, that lady that God is using to open the way into Europe, the whole of Europe, the whole of Germany and Switzerland and Austria and the Netherlands and the Nordic nations and England and Wales can say, Lydia, thank you for welcoming this man. Isn't it amazing? And so they get to Lydia's house. A fledgling church is planted in her house. Who's left there? Probably, who's in that church? Probably the Roman jailer, Lydia and her family, probably the slave girl, a couple of the ladies, and some brothers, the Bible says. Perhaps one or two others. Now Paul is about 100, 800 miles away. He's across two oceans. He's across in Rome. He's been, he's been, he's jailed. He's far Far away. It's probably 10 years since he's visited them. And um, Epaphroditus has come across with a gift. Now he's going to send this letter back with Epaphroditus and they're going to read this letter. This letter is in the face of Paul's sufferings. He's now himself jailed. He's facing trial, perhaps death. And he begins to talk about his imprisonments, but he remembers, no, hold on, and his sufferings and his beatings, but he refers back to Jesus, and he says, no, but Jesus was beaten, and Jesus was crucified, and Jesus was, was lashed as, like I was lashed. And so what he does, he says, don't worry, because our master Jesus faced the same, and he puts Jesus front and center. This church is very healthy. It's in a good place when compared to the Corinthians or Galatians. And Paul is gentle with them. He doesn't um, kind of pull rank, and, but he doesn't let them relax. He says, you need to press on. So it's all good, but Paul keeps pressing the church. He says, come on, lean forward. You know, he, he says himself, not having attained to all these things, but pressing on. And he's, he encourages them to do the same. And of course, in Philippians chapter 2, and I'll get to the text right now, it's this great anthem or hymn. That your attitude should be the same of Jesus Christ, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, emptied himself, took on the nature of a servant. And there's that hymn or anthem, which must be one of the greatest hymns or anthems ever in the New Testament. So, when you turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, 
servants of Jesus Christ, literally slaves. We are slaves of Jesus Christ. Philippi had many slaves owned by the masters. Paul refers to himself as Jesus refers to himself as a servant. servant. We often say servant because we don't like the word slave. It has bad connotations, but the true interpretation is we are slaves of Jesus Christ. That's why people say, why didn't Paul oppose slavery? He said, I am a slave. Jesus himself, he says, I have not come to be served, but I've come to serve. I've come to wash your feet. I've come to be a bond slave. And he himself, Moses and Joshua, um, we're given the title as servants or slaves of the Lord. We are all slaves. Paul and Timothy, slaves. Biblical leadership, the essence of biblical leadership is serving. That's why the church has got it wrong in the West. Some, we've seen some of the big sort of mega things, very important people, people that have a big air about themselves, people that, that sort of you know, you, you know, have special status, people that feel untouched, people that are not among the people, people that will never move a chair, will ever serve coffee. Actually, there's a problem with that. People that fly in their own jets, fly first class, set themselves apart. Here's our apostle Paul and his, the other apostle Timothy, who he says we are slaves. We are here to serve you. That's a challenge. Jesus taking, took on the nature of a slave, the Bible says. He took on the essence of a slave. There are people in this church that I look at and I think, you have the nature of a servant. You exhibit what it is to be a servant. And brothers and sisters, it is good for us to move chairs, amen? It's good for us to serve coffee. It's good for us to vacuum, amen? It's good for us to do that. It's good for the older generation to serve the younger generation. Can somebody say Amen. Uh, where are my notes? Relationships are either built by humility, honoring, serving others, esteeming others, or they are ruined by envy and rivalry and ambition and looking out for our own interests. So he says, Paul and Timothy, servants, bond servants, to all the saints, to all the holy people. So what he does to this amazing church, 800 miles away, he says, we are servants and you are slaves. How cool is that? How cool is that? Not like, hey, we're apostles. Hey, we've been jailed. Hey, you owe us. Hey, we with the, hey you honor me. Give me a platform. He says, no, we are servants and you are saints. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful for all the people that are involved in leadership? Servants or slaves. He actually, Paul says, you've been seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. You Philippians are saints. You are the A-team. He's elevating them. He's saying, we'll serve, and you're saints. And it's just a, a play on words, but I've, I've loved that. I haven't read that. I've just, I've just thought about it somewhere. You are God's special, called-out, blood-washed apple of His eye people. You are saints. See, Paul, Paul is in, he's, 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 just, he's got it because he says, I want to present you as beautiful. His husbands and present your wives as beautiful, washed, holy. Pray for them. 
And he's saying to this church, you are, you are beautiful, you are washed, you're the apple of my eye, and you're actually the apple of God's eye, and I want to see you in a good place. Paul's prize, he says, I want you to be without stain or wrinkle. I want you to be blameless, and that's kind of his heart. The word saint, when he says, we are servants and you are saints, saint means set apart, it means sanctified, it means sacred, it means holy, it means belonging to God, it means those that are close to God. So this is the message that he's sending to this church, together with the overseers and deacons. And then he throws it in, so he's got servants, him and Timothy, saints, then he's got, together with overseers and deacons, four categories of people, sometimes three. Everyone's a saint here, including the elders and the deacons. Everyone is saints, okay? Some are elders, which are shepherds. Some are deacons. The latter two elders and uh, deacons are appointed officers in a local church. They are servant officers. They are, they are officers held to serve. In fact, the word deacon is not just servant, it's it's ministering servant. Uh, one of the Greek interpretations is deacons are ministering servants. Paul says of himself he is bond slave. Isn't that amazing? So in your mind, you think of in a church. When you walk into a church, you walk through the front doors, you say, okay, everyone's a saint. Are they deacons? No, we don't believe in deacons. What? What do you mean? Don't you have deacons? No, we don't, we don't think deacons is cool. I've heard that in churches. We don't have deacons. We've got leaders and we've got pastors. No, the Bible says you need deacons. Somebody say amen to me. They've got to go and work it out. No, we're like so cool. Like we 2023, we don't need deacons. Every word is breathed from God. And so we, we, we want saints, we want servants, and together we, all of us saints and servants, you're either a deacon or you're an elder or you're a saint. Makes sense. These elders and deacons play a weighty role in the church. They have very onerous qualifications, which scare me as an elder. I often think, Lord, can I just hide? I'm not, are you blameless in everything? No, I'm not. Like, you know, did you speak kindly to that person? No, that wasn't very pleasant. Are you just grumpy with your wife often? Do you carry unforgiveness? Yes. Do people have issues with, with you in the city? Uh, some do. Lord, can I just disappear? No, go and deal with it. Don't say sorry, amen? I just pray this week again. <laughs> in fact, I said I apologize unconditionally. I want to, I, I haven't found that easy. Well, you, you know, I, no. What I said was wrong. I am sorry. But, but just, just P.S., by the way, the reason, the reason, no, no, stop. I just say sorry. Unconditional, no excuses. I'm sorry. I spoke badly. I was insensitive. I am sorry. Not, I've got daddy issues. You don't know what kind of a week I've had. Sorry. Those are the elders and the deacons, their direct affairs of the church. So you've got saints, all of us, servants, all of us, some deacons, some elders. But everyone's got gifts. Everyone's been given gifts. The demata, the spiritual gifts. He ascended on high and left captives in his train and gave gifts to men. They have different gifts according to the grace given us. 
Each as the Spirit is given to you for the common good. The charismata are given to you for the common good. I'll list them just so that we can just remember because we forget these things. Some have the gift of prophecy, not the office of the prophet. The office of the prophet is a weighty office. The office of the apostle is a weighty office. It's not elders and deacons. It's a separate thing. It's Ephesians chapter 4. But then we have the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is to build up, exhort, encourage. Okay? The office of the prophet is a very serious, the office of the apostle is serious, but you have the gift, the demata of prophecy, the gift of serving, the gift of teaching, the gift of encouragement, that is a beautiful gift, the gift of contributing to the needs of others, the gift of leadership. You don't have to be an elder to have the gift of leadership, you're just able to help people. You've got a leadership gift. You can come into a home and say, I can see here there's a problem in this home. You can go into a business, you can go into a nation, you can go into a company, and you have the gift of leadership. You have the gift of mercy. You have the gift of wisdom. That's another stunning gift. The gift of a word of knowledge. God just says, that, boom, that. And you think, that was incredible. Do you remember you spoke a word to me that changed the course of my direction? I was about to have this person come and habitate, with, have, live with me, not, not as a boy and girl, but just what, whatever it might be, stop. I was about to buy that house. It's happened a number of times. People have asked me. I said, okay, do you want my opinion? Yeah, okay, I wouldn't buy it. Sean Dooley said to us, he had a word of knowledge, don't buy the house in McDonald Road. And where's that road, baby, wherever? And we were all offended. He said, don't do it. The guy that handed the church over to us. I said, well, I want it. He says, so I thought, two people say yes, Sean Dooley said no. So he said, I tell you what, phone the guy, phone a fourth person, one, no, two yeses, phone a third person, whatever he says, do it. I phoned the third person and he says, buy it. But this Mr. Sean Dooley was right. He had a word of knowledge. So when he comes to our house now, every time he walks in, he says, nice house, eh, Nick? I said, because <laughs> the word of knowledge is don't buy that house. But you see, I'm a hardy, and I come from a house of independence. And we do our own thing, because we're just arrogant little hardies. And the Lord has had to teach me through stumbling and falling and grazes. Ah, oh, listen, submit your life to one another out of reverence for Christ. The gift of faith, the gift of healing, the gift of miracles, the gift of discerning of spirits, so important. The gift of tongues, who can interpret a tongue. And then you have the fruit of the Spirit. Grace and peace to you, he says. All of his, he always starts up with grace and peace. You've got to get the order. It's always grace before peace. Why? The Greeks loved grace. The Jews loved peace. Grace meant I'm not saved by works. Peace meant shalom to the Jew. So if you said shalom to the Jew, he would say shalom meant nothing broken, everything reconciled, everything together. But you can't have peace with God unless you experience the grace of God, which is the gospel of Jesus. The grace of God simply says you cannot just save yourself. You need Jesus to save you. It's a free gift. Stop trying so hard. Just say, Lord Jesus, I'm finished trying I'll never be worthy. I'll never match up. No, you won't. So therefore, I just say, save me, please. I'm drowning, Jesus. I'm down, going down this river. It's a flood, and it's going to take me, and I'm going to go down. So I'm asking you, just as I am, to save me by your grace, by your finished work on the cross. I receive your grace. I receive your forgiveness. I'm not messing around in no man's land. I need you to save me. That's grace. And then he begins, the Spirit begins to 
show you that he goes to the cross and dies for your sin. You think, I'm not such a bad guy. Then the Spirit reveals to you how bad you really are. How much pride you've got or how much you've forgotten all your hidden sins. And he says, you must come and receive my grace, which means my unmerited favor, which means I died on the cross on your behalf, and therefore you go free. And once you've got grace, then you experience shalom, which is peace with God. Nothing broken. And then chapter, verse 3 says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Imagine this apostle who's done some yards, guys. He's been hurt by churches. He's been, he's been rejected by the Corinthians. He's, he suffered this man. He's been beaten, shipwrecked. Brothers have taken him out. I thank my God every time I remember you. Every time you come into my mind, the Philippians, I just say, thank you, Lord. Imagine if they say at Redpoint, every time we think of this church, we say, thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you. Every time we just think, oh, I don't know why they worship so fraught. But every time I think of you, I say, thank you, Lord. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you, including you, Lydia, and you, the slave girl, and you, Jailer, and your family, and the ladies at the bank of the river, and the other brothers. With joy, I think of you with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now, it's like they never missed a day 10 years later of partnering with Paul. They sent him gifts. They prayed for him. They looked after him. So grateful for you, Philippian church. Such an amazing people. Such an amazing community. You, Lydia, that you insisted that we come to your house. I'm sure Paul said, I can't come to, we can't come to your house. We're like, got to be careful. Ah, please come. If you believe that God has opened my heart to your message, do you believe that? Yes, we do. Because you say, then come to my house. Come and stay at my house. And she persuades us. Remember the Shunammite woman? She persuades this guy. Did I write it down? I want to get the term right. I don't know if I did. The Shunammite woman, this well-to-do woman, encounters this prophet Elisha. Ladies, listen carefully to this. She encounters a man of God. She says, mm, something about this guy. Okay? She's a well-to-do woman as well, like, the, like Lydia. She urged him to, say, to stay for a meal. She says, please stay for a meal. Uh, she urged, which means she, he needed persuasion. Get this guy. Let's get this guy. Husband, he's half asleep. Get this guy into our house. Then he has meals there. Is he part? Then she says, let's take it to the next step. And she says, let's build him a room upstairs. And in that room, we're going to put what, eh? A chair, yes, eh? A desk, yes? A lamp, yes? And a? And a bed. Woman, what are you on? Shh. Let's make a room. And we're going to put four things in that room. Some while later, he says, call the Shunammite, Gehazi. What can we do for you? Nothing. Oh, nothing. She's not a needy woman. She's got no needs. But she's, she's full of a sense of God. No needs. You know, you know what he Talk to the commanders of, of, the, of the armies. No need. Can we talk to the king? No need. By this time next year, you'll have a child. Oh, man of God. Don't, don't say crazy things to this woman. Has a child. Praise God. Come on, church. Up our game. Let's not be like horrible little pine town people with our closed little houses. Let's open 
You have got beautiful homes. It's not your home, but it's our home. Amen? It's our home. Invite people in. Well, you know, like I don't like I don't identify with these people. Shut up, From the first day, you've been a joy. You've been a joy to me. Being confident of this, verse 6. You're still there. You're still breathing. That he who began a good work in you, Philippians, he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Yes, we may long to see each other. Can't wait to come to you. Can't wait to encourage one another. But it is not our Paul who started this work in you. It is not our Paul who will finish the work. It's Jesus who starts the work. When I got saved, there was good and bad when I got saved. The good was that I got saved. The bad that there was taught that the church was not a good place to be. So when I got saved, the guy drummed into us. His name was Bob. Bob drummed into us. You have got to sort your own faith out. Jesus will save you. Jesus will redeem you. You have access into the Holy of Holies. You read the word. You pray. You grow up, young man. Nick Hardy. He used to prophesy over me in the lounge. I was like a teenager. I learned from an early age that Jesus will begin work and finish the work. Not Paul. And for years, I've watched preachers come. I've watched preachers go. I've watched people get hurt. I've watched people get all upset. I've watched people throw away their faith because their pastor hurt them or their pastor had sex with their secretary or whatever he did or he just abandoned the faith or he punched the other deacon I'm leaving the faith therefore you see can I encourage you can somebody give you an amen that Jesus will bring to completion the work that he started in you until the day of Christ Jesus be empowered Red Point Church Jesus is your Lord or Philippian church, you have the Holy Spirit. The veil's been torn. Not Jesus will start and I have to get to you to finish. No, Jesus will start and will finish. Can I have an amen from the front row? We all take responsibility for our faith. Even, ma'am, if your husband has walked out on you and he was this professing Christian, don't let that rob you of the fact that Jesus will begin, he will run you through, and he will complete the work. Amen. Be strong. And some of you have suffered great, greatly. I'm aware of that. And I want to encourage you to hold on to the Scripture. Be empowered by your Savior. Take responsibility. I actually think some of the 120 saved in the upper room, they only met Jesus for a couple of months, man. Some of those 120, we, I know, I know, they might have been with him, say, for a year or two. Some of them maybe eight, nine months. We don't quite know. But Jesus said, cheers. I'm going to send you the Spirit. I'm gone. Jesus, we, I'm gone. I will begin and I will finish the work. Get on with it. Not soon thereafter, the people are being martyred, flogged, imprisoned, and the gospel is being preached. It is right for me, verse 7, to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. Back to being tender again. He's getting hearty again. For whether I am in chains... Or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share or are partakers in God's grace with me. I've got you in my heart. One of the things that we want to see in each other is, actually, you know what? Dave's got a heart for me. I know who I am. I know, I know how broken I am. I know that I'm probably a difficult man to work one of his colleagues. I'm sure I've said to him, sorry, I'm picking on you, Dave, or Mikey. 
But actually, you know what? I see the good. Uh, let me not talk about it myself. Let me reverse it. I see the good. I see the man cries. I see, I have a heart for him. A heart for your wife? Oh, there's a lot of problems with my wife. Yeah, but is there good with her, with your husband? Are there some things that you can say, gee, praise God for that? It may not be like my dad, you know. My dad was this deep walking. This I can't even fix a plug. <laughs> Slap him. No. Thank you for this man. Thank you that he's faithful. Thank you that he provides a salary. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Thank you that he comes every night. Thank you that he actually loves me. Ooh, how did I get there? I have no idea. I you in my heart. I'm still learning how to love my wife. And I'm loving the journey. I'm loving the discovery. We've been married 35 years, Kati. Don't lose track, my girl. Listen. I'm loving the journey of discovering by the Spirit the wonder of this gift given to me. Come on, husbands. Come on, husbands. Let our wives be adorned and beautified and cherished and ministered to. Is there that I ever don't speak about marriage? I don't think so. Whether I'm in chains, you know chains? You know chains? You know what they changed it? They, they, they changed it. They were normally tied to Roman uh, centurions or soldiers. Chains were a horrible thing. When you chain an apostle, you kill him. You, 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 you stop his ministry. Restrictive. You know, that you, you, you know that the Romans didn't feed you when you were in jail? Do you know that? In America, if you go to jail now, if you go to Sweden, I think in jail in Norway, I mean, you've got an internet, you've got computers, you've got anything you want. You just, and you can actually sometimes ask if you want. Do you know that? As long as you come back by eight, it's a bit you're in jail. You've got TV, you've got, you got a fridge. What do you, what you want? But full-on internet, high-fiber. Not these brothers. These brothers, you know where you got your food from? Friends, Friends and family. If somebody didn't bring food, you just, your waist went concave, not like mine, convex. This thing went inside. This beautiful apostle. Defending and confirming. Sometimes we defend, he had to defend himself in front of people, judges, magistrates, Caesar. Other times you confirm. Gee, that person got born again. There's a miracle that happened there. The, the gospel is advancing. We just saw it confirmed. The gospel confirmed in Philippi with Lydia and the people. Sometimes it's defending. You're arguing. You, the Jews are saying, I'm going to take you out and you having to learn. You are partakers together with me in the grace of God. He says, you're actually participating in my chafed wrists. You're participating. You're sharing in God's grace with me. Grace, Paul, this is hard. Can't carry on. I can. I'm, I'm actually thinking about you and I'm joyful. So he's not bitter but he's better as some theologians said he's not hurt but he's loving he's he's been a father god can testify he comes back to it again after his chains sharing god's great god can testify how i long for you with the affection of jesus christ i mean can you imagine saying that i long for you philippians that's why brothers and sisters i think our language in south africa is on the low end yo bro how's it no i long for you Thank you. So good to see you. 
longing and affections of Jesus. And this is my prayer, verse 9, that you, your love may abound. Here it comes, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Imagine arriving at a house or a church and you just think, I can't explain it, but there's just a lot of love here. Walking to a house and being hosted by a family, and you just leave there and you get into the car and you drive out and you think, what, is that? what happened in that house? Did you feel that love? Did you feel that affection? Did you feel, he says, I want your love to abound more and more. When you come to a church, somebody said to me, I've been to a church, no one's greeted me in four or five times. I'm thinking, oh, the only thing I think of, Lord, please don't tell me we've done that. And it has happened here. Somebody said to me, came here for four weeks, no one greeted us. I thought, she, did you go straight to the toilet? But surely somebody greeted you. Nobody. In fact, they even said no one greeted now, now, this was many years ago, but I'm thinking, hey, Lord, I want to be a warm, that actually our love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that's a prayer. What does it mean? To abound means to swell, to overflow, plenty, excess, run over. I don't know. I don't like to say thank you. No, we, 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 just, we just abound in love, gratitude, thankfulness. Amen. In knowledge and depth of insight. Three things in play. We're abounding in love. We're abounding in knowledge of who we love. And we're abounding in depth of insight, in insight, discernment, so that we can discern what's best quickly. Love's depth and endurance depends. So, so to love somebody and to endure in that love, you need to grow in the knowledge of who they are. Okay? This is a, quite, a th- quite a weighty theological thing. That's why we want to know Jesus, that the eyes of your heart may be lined, that you may know the hope, that you may know Jesus. And so the more you know Jesus, the more knowledge you have of Jesus, the more you will love him. That's why we have a teaching faith. That's why we should teach you lots about Jesus, which is coming in the next chapter. And so you know about the person, then the person loved. Knowledge is not the enemy of love. They say love is blind. No, but love, Paul says, is that you would grow, abounding love and growing in the knowledge, okay, in knowledge and depth of insight. So, knowledge is not the enemy of love, but it's the necessary condition of its, of its, of its existence, as somebody said. Knowledge stops love from being superficial. That's, that's, why, that's why, get to know the person. Get to know their graces. Get to know, if I look at Mikey, I want you to know, Lord, who's this man? Or Shannon, here to my left. Who's Shannon? She seems joyous. She's got a pleasant disposition. There's the grace of God upon her. Get to know her. Amen? You know what I'm saying? Sorry, Shannon. Get to know her. Oh, my dad. Yeah, but there were some good things about your dad. Get, get to know. Get to love. Get to know. I'm amazed that people say, actually, some people that are so difficult, and then you meet a person and says, yeah, but I just love them. I said, how do you love them? They're so difficult. Oh, no, there's a side to them. You see, that's what Paul was saying. It wasn't a perfect church, but it was a love church. You there? And discernment, that, you, that, that you, you're able to discern. You, you, you know what's happening. 
that you may be able to discern what is best. So you've got, you've got love, you've got knowledge, you've got discernment, that, that you're able to, to, to understand, have depth of insight, discernment, okay? Now, so that you may be able to discern what is best and excellent. So this love, this knowledge, this insight will enable you to discern what is right, what is excellent. You'll be able to say, no, that's corrupt, that's excellent, that's good, that's bad, that's shadowy, that's in the light. So when you take those three things and you put them together, you begin to, you can discern what is excellent, what is best, not corrupt, not flawed, not unhelpful. Phew, that's quite a piece, isn't it? I love you, I want to know you, and I want depth of insight into you. And then I'll be able to discern what is best. That's what he's saying to the Philippian church. And maybe pure and blameless. So those three things make you make good decisions. You know what's excellent. And that you may be pure and blameless until the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 11, as I come to land, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Now suddenly, you know, sometimes you look at, uh, here's a fruit. I opened one of our cupboards the other day and there was an old apple. Kati? Oh, that apple was done, bro. It was like, you had stuff growing out of it. I don't know, it got into there. Here's a fruit. No, that's not the fruit he's talking about. It's like a bowl of pomegranates and peaches and bananas and pineapples and give me some more. And uh, granadillas and guavas and it's like falling over. That's the, that's the fruit. It's a full bowl of righteousness. Amen being filled with the fruits of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's Philippians chapter 1, verse 11. Chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. Can you stand with me, please? You know what I just want to say? I want to close with this. I think from our prayer meeting this morning, there's an invitation um, like the Philippian church to come into the center of God's purposes. Can, can I just repeat that? <laughs> There's this invitation for you to, to get into the middle. Amen? It's to, it's, to, it's to be born again. It's to be like the Philippian church that says, Paul, we're all in. And Paul is affection and prayer is phenomenal for them. If you feel perhaps that you're just on the margins and the peripherals, can I, can I just pray for you? Can I pray that God brings you and me into the center of what he has for us? Even with perhaps you say, Nick, I'm a little fearful, I've been hurt, um, I have the sense that God wants us to come into the center, the kernel of what he has for you. Can I pray that? Who's closing? I'm going to ask Francis to pray that. Yes, uh, I was thinking exactly that same thing, just for an opportunity for us. And I was actually even, you know, I, I just absolutely loved the preach, Nick. I thought I'm on the edge of my seat. I just so want to be a part of what is happening here. And I just thought maybe, maybe you've been indifferent during this preach. I don't know how you could have been. But maybe that's exactly for you. 
that God is saying, if, if this didn't actually excite me, if this didn't actually you know, stir my heart for more, Lord, please, I want in. I want to come in the center because I haven't experienced it. I haven't felt your touch, but I, I can see it's there and I can sense it in people around me. So, so if that is you, just respond to God right now and ask Him. And for all the rest of us, let's, let's wholeheartedly echo this prayer. Lord, I want in and I want the full benefit of this. Paul's whole letter is there so that we can abound. I think this verse is, is for me is like key that we can abound in a knowledge of that love that God wants to put inside of us that would propel us and would compel us and would stir us and would cause us just to live wholeheartedly for Him and be able to be flogged and all those kind of things just because we're captivated by His love. So Lord, we, we come before you as a church who has got an absolute desire to be more impassioned about you, Lord. We just don't want to stop, God. We, want to, we don't want to leave actually sitting under your word and sitting under this exaltation, sitting under this, this ministry, actually, Lord, of, of calling us in, calling us deeper, Lord, calling us into that space where not a single one of us want to have a room where there's not a lamp and a bed and a chair and a, and a, and a desk for you, Lord, to come and make your dwelling among us and to come in and actually transform us, Lord, actually throw all the rubbish out, Lord, all the things that cluttered our rooms and things. Would you do it right now, God? And would you actually establish in our inner person, Lord, a space that you and you only is kept for you and you can dwell and from that place totally transform us, Lord. We do not want to be the same, God. We do not want to add you on, God. We don't want you to be stickers on the outside. We want you to, to be transforming the inner being of who I am because you've come in there. There's no room, Lord, that that is that you are not allowed in in our lives. There's no place, Lord, a closet or anything we want to hide, Lord. We want to say, come in, Lord God. Come in into that inner space. And for the ones, Lord, who feel this is so far away, I, I pray, God, that you would just touch them right now by your power. We declared your power. We declared your name at the onset of this meeting, Lord, in faith over situations in our lives and we want to declare it again we want to speak jesus again over each of those lives lord i think even of ingrid's word even that person who wanted to take their life just got no hope left now lord this very moment god as we as we sing an exaltation to you the great god the great yeshua would you come in now jesus Transform us, Lord, and take us on this very exciting adventure and journey that will take us to wherever, Lord Jesus, across the road and to the uttermost parts of this, of this world, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.